Alright, I want you to notice the very first verse of 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So we see right here that there is a day coming of where there's going to be judgment and it's coming at Christ's appearing and his kingdom. When Jesus Christ returns, he's going to set his kingdom up on this earth for a thousand years. We're looking for, uh, for that. And in verse 6, the Apostle Paul goes on to say, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. So the Apostle Paul, he understands that his time on earth is very limited. He's not going to be around much longer. But these were his final, kind of his final words. He says, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me, at that day, and I believe it's the day of his appearing, the day that he met where he's going to be judged. And he says that day when Jesus Christ comes back and he judges, he said, I believe he has a crown of righteousness that's for me. And he said, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. So Paul mentions a crown of righteousness that is for those who love his appearing. So the question I want to ask you today is, do you love his appearing? Do you love his appearing? And I don't believe that just because somebody is saved that that means that they love his appearing. I don't believe that's an automatic. I don't believe that everyone is going to receive that crown of righteousness. It's those who love his appearing. In second or in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul said, "Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity." and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. And so what does that mean to love his appearing and how do we do it? Because here in Titus, Paul's talking about those who are looking for that blessed hope, those who are looking for that glorious appearing. And we see here that Christ wants to redeem himself a people who are a peculiar people, a people who are zealous of good works. And so we all are very well aware of the fact that we're not saved by our works, but we understand that we were saved with the purpose that we would go and do some good works and that we as saved people, we have a mission. God has given us something to do. We didn't just get saved. And so now looking for his appearing means we're just sitting around just waiting. No, we're supposed to be active. We're supposed to be busy. We're supposed to be doing something. Turn over to Mark chapter number 13. Mark chapter number 13 in verse 32, a lot of people today are trying to teach that the Olivet Discourse is not about the rapture. Uh, we do, in fact, believe that it is about the rapture. And those same people who teach it's not about the rapture will teach imminency based on this verse right here from the Olivet Discourse where it says, But of that day and that hour knoweth no man. What, what day and hour? Talking about the return of Christ when Jesus Christ appears to gather together his elect. It says, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man, know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. And this is why we reject anyone who comes along and says, I figured out the date. Jesus didn't even know the date when he was going to return. And while there are signs and while there are things that we believe are going to precede the return of Christ, at the end of the day, none of us are going to know for sure. We're not going to know. You know, all the Bible prophecy back before the coming of Christ, almost all of it, Whenever it came to pass, people didn't necessarily see it coming. It would, the things would happen, and then they would look back at those passages and say, right here's where it was predicted. 
And I believe it's going to be the same thing when Jesus Christ returns. I don't think there's going to be any of us, myself included, sitting out there saying, you know what? I figured it out based on this scripture. But I believe when it all happens, when it all goes down, sure enough, the Bible knew it was coming. It's right there in the scripture. But because we, there's no, there's nothing in the Bible that shows that we need to know when Christ is going to return. But let me tell you, there's a lot of scripture showing that we should always be ready, that we should always be looking for it. And he goes on here to give a parable about readiness. And he says, take heed, watch and pray for ye know not when the time is. Oh, but I watched a Ruckmanite on YouTube predicting the day of the rapture. They don't know either. Okay. They don't even know how to get saved. So verse 35, uh, verse 34, for the son of man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Did you know Jesus Christ, he left the earth shortly after he said this word? He gave authority to his servants. He gave authority to the apostles. He gave them the great commission. He told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And did you know that we as a church, there is certain authority that we have that has been given by God. But did you know that just because we have authority does not mean we get to do whatever we want. That authority that we have been given, it's limited because this church, our ministry, it belongs to Jesus Christ. It's his. He left us in charge of it. And one day he's coming back to see what we did with it. And so in verse 35, he says, watch that ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight or the cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all watch. And let me tell you something as a, as a, as a pastor, I have certain authority over this church, but you know what? I ought to be scared to death of the fact that one of these days, the real master of this church is coming back. The real shepherd of this church is coming back. And you know what? He's going to look at what I'm doing. And if I'm not following his instructions that he left behind, I'm in trouble. Did you know you as a Christian, there's certain authority that you've been given. There are certain responsibilities that you have been given. And, one, and you know, we as a church, we might not always do what we should to help keep you in line. We might not always do what we need to do to provoke you to love and good works and all those things. Or we might even be trying to do those things, but you might be in rebellion against the church. You might not listen to what we have to say. And you know what? That, that's fine. But one of these days, the real master is going to come back and he's going to see what you did. With that, with that salvation he gave you, he's going to see what you did with those spiritual gifts that he gave you that we talked about last week or the week before. And he said to the disciples, and he said, what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch, all of us should be looking for the coming of Christ. And the person who loves his appearing is someone who understands they have been left on this earth with a mission. There's somebody who is faithfully fulfilling it to the best of their ability. And while no one is going to be perfect at Christ's return, understand there are going to be some who to the best of their ability and to the best of their knowledge are being obedient and who are anxiously awaiting his return because they're confident that they are being obedient. In 1 John 2.28 says, And now little children abide in him that when he shall appear... We may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness, 
righteousness is born of him. And notice what he says. When he appears, John wanted them to have confidence at his coming. Now, what does he mean by that? Meaning that, okay, the master's coming. What do I have to be scared of? I'm not in disobedience. I'm doing what he's told me to do. Have you ever been on the job before and you were not fulfilling your boss's obligations you know, or, he, or what he told you to do? And then all of a sudden you hear the boss is coming? You know, that's a scary thing when you're not doing something you're supposed to do. But, you know, when you're doing your work like you're supposed to, when you're doing a good job, you're ready. You know, you're ready. You know, I mean, kids. I mean, how many of your kids before are like, you know, I'm going to go check your room. And they freak out because maybe you told them to clean it and they didn't do it. And I, and I think a good way to illustrate that, too, is, you know, like even Kelly. Okay, recently we did a rearrangement of the rooms in our house and Kelly and Hannah are in room together. And we got them new beds. And, you know, Kelly, she's real proud of how she makes her bed. And there's been, you know, there were a few times after she got a room where she had it all cleaned up and her bed made. And you know what? I wasn't planning on inspecting her room, but you know, she wanted me to come inspect her room. She wanted me to come see her room. She wanted me to come look and to see how she made her bed. You know why? Because she was confident I've done a good job. I've cleaned my room. I've made my bed. And her attitude was, Dad, come inspect. Dad, come see what I've done. Because she felt like, and to the best of her ability, she had done a good job. And you know what? As I could tell she had done a good job to the best of her ability. And you know what I didn't do? I didn't go up real high on the trim somewhere and like put a white glove over it and check. And like, oh, you know, I still found some dust. You know what? I could tell she did, the, she did a good job to the best of her ability. And you know what I did? I made a big deal about it. She was, she was confident. She was ready, and that's how we ought to be as Christians. We ought to be living every day like, man, I wish Jesus would come back right now. Because I'm right with God right now. I'm doing what he wants me to do right now. I'm living to the best of my ability, and I'm, I'm living up to my potential right now. I wish Jesus would just come back now. I mean, I, I'm ready to face him. That, you know, and, but most people today, they can't really, if they were honest, they can't say that. And let me tell you, if you're not ready right now, you know, then you're not right with God. And you can't just think, well, you know, I'll, I'll wait until I start seeing the signs. I'm going to show you here in a little bit. That's not going to work. In fact, go ahead and turn over to Revelation chapter 22. Because, you know, are you living in obedience right now? Are you living in righteousness right now? Because when it all starts going down, you're not going to have time to get your act together. Or you're not going to just all of a sudden make yourself start believing the Bible. Okay? And I just, if, if you don't get anything from this message, get this right now. If you are not ready for his appearing right now, there is nothing that says you're going to be ready when he comes back. There are no events that will get you ready. I don't care if they start rebuilding the temple tomorrow. I don't care if some guy comes along and the world unites around him as a leader of the world. I don't care if they implement the mark of the beast tomorrow. You're not going to get your act together if you're, then if you won't do it right now. In Revelation 22, verse 10, it says, And, be, um, and he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy... Let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Now, what did he mean right there when he says, if you're filthy, just stay filthy? 
Does this mean God doesn't want us getting right with Him? I mean, I got a Bible verse right there. I know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm surprised some kids haven't tried pulling that one on their parents when they're all dirty. It's like, you know, you guys are filthy. You need to take a bath. Well, I don't want to take a bath. My Bible says, he that is filthy, let him be filthy. Okay. Now, if some of your kids uh, were listening to some of the right preachers, they would probably interpret the scriptures <laughs> that, that way. But what is he saying right there? He's saying, if that's your state when Christ starts to come, listen, he says the time is at hand. He's coming quickly. His reward is with him. Chances are the state that you are in right now is the state that you're going to be in when he returns. And he said, well, I just don't believe that, especially, you know, with our eschatology we have here, you know, being post-trib and all that stuff. I mean, surely when we start seeing all these things, I'm going to get my act together and I'm going to have time to get things right. No, because let me tell you, here's why you're not right with God right now. Here is, here's why you're disobedient right now, because you don't really believe the Bible. That's why you don't really believe the Bible. And when you just don't believe the Bible or when you are in rebellion against the Bible, nothing will change your mind. You know, if the word of God won't change your mind, nothing will change your mind. If Paul's writings against certain sins will not change your mind, if what Jesus said about sin will not change your mind, current events will not change your mind. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Do you remember what Abraham told that rich man? If they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe the one rose from the dead. Oh, surely they'll believe if somebody rises from the dead. Surely we'll believe if we start seeing all these prophecies come to pass. You don't believe Moses and the prophets, you're not going to believe anything. I don't care. I don't care what happens in the news tomorrow. And you say, no, I'm convinced. I'm just waiting. When I start seeing certain key things happen, then I'm going to get my act together. Well, let me ask, what if you're wrong on your eschatology? And let me just, let's just be real honest about eschatology, okay? While we all are convinced 100% that the pre-tribbers are wrong, did you know most eschatology, it's just theory based on, you know, I think we should interpret it this way, I think we should look at it this way. It's not all as cut and dry as we think. There's, there's some interest, there's other theories out there. You know, either way you look at, and I'm not going to get into a lot of these different things, but... There are some things that's not super clear. Here's what is super clear. You should be ready for them today. You should be being obedient today. And if this Bible can't get you to be obedient, if you reading it won't get you obedient, if you hearing a preacher get up and proclaim what the Bible says, if that won't change your life, if that won't get you to be obedient, nothing that will come across the news that it looks like it's lining up with what we say about prophecy will change your mind. It will not change your ways. You're going to be in the same starry state. So you know what? If you're happy with how you are right now and you think this is how I want Jesus to find me, well, then great. You know, but if, you're, if you think I don't want Jesus to find me this way right now, you need to get right right now. You need to get your act together right now. I wouldn't wait around. And so if you won't believe the words of Jesus, if you don't believe the words of the apostles about living a holy life, Mark of the beast isn't going to change that. And something very important Christians need to understand about salvation and about the blood of Christ is that the blood of Christ saves us from the wrath of God, right? We all understand that the blood of Christ saves us from the wrath of God. There is no eternal death coming from for us. There is no hell coming for us. We will not have one second in the lake of fire we will, not, uh, we will never experience those things because our sins, past, present, and future, 
are all under the blood. No one can call me, come and call me accursed. No one can condemn me with the law of God. I am dead to the law of God. According to Galatians 2.19, it says, For I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So if you are saved today, you're living, right? You have life. And did you know that God expects you to do something with that life he gave you? You used to be dead in your trespasses and sins. The reason that you used to live according to the flesh and walk according to the course of this world is because you had no spiritual life in you. But when God saved you, you know what? He gave you life. And so, so get this. Because we don't want to do like the contemporaries. We don't want to do like the liberals. We're not supposed to go to these verses about being dead to the law and then act like the law should have no impact on our life at all. When the Bible talks about that, it's showing how we can't be condemned by it. I, I do not fear hell because of the law. Because when I stand before Christ, I'm not going to be judged by the law. I have eternal life. You can't threaten me with eternal death. Y'all understand that? So I, I get all that. The Bible teaches all that. But understand, because God has given you eternal life, God gave you life to do something with it. God expects something from us. And so if I do a bad job with the life that God has given me, I will not be judged by the law and go to hell. But you know what? I will be judged by the law of liberty. And what I, and what I do will determine my rewards. And it will determine what I do in the kingdom of God. So, whenever, so what happens a lot of times is whenever Christians start talking about the judgment seat of Christ, and about being judged and acting like it's a scary thing, you're always going to have the liberals that get mad. Oh, you know, we're not condemned by the law. You know, you can't judge me by those things. I'm dead to the law. No, I can't be judged with, you know, by the law with death. I can't get that penalty that the law provides. I, I can't get that. But as someone who has life, I still am going to be judged, just not by the law. Okay, just so understand, one of these days, I'm going to stand before Christ and he is going to judge me. But he's not going to judge me according to that Old Testament law. If I get judged by that, I'm going to hell. So I am, and thankfully, because I've been cleansed by the blood of Christ, you know, eternal life, I have it. Death is not an option. But God is still going to judge me for what I've done with the life that he's given me. And if I go and I do great things with the life he's given me, then I'm going to be rewarded in heaven. I'm going to be given greater responsibility, uh, however God is going to do things in that millennial kingdom. So understand, just because we're not going to be judged by the law, just because we can't be condemned with death, does not mean that we as Christians are not going to be judged. We are definitely going to be judged. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. He's saying that to save people. We, you know, we do. There, there should be a reverential fear of standing before Jesus Christ. And it ought to motivate us 
to do good. In Philippians 3, 9, Paul said, "...in being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead." Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so notice these things that Paul said. He said, okay, I'm not going to, I don't have a righteousness that's by the law. He said, I have a righteousness that's by Jesus Christ. And Paul was guaranteed heaven. Paul is guaranteed a resurrection of the dead. Just as all of us who are saved, we are all guaranteed a resurrection of the dead. And according to 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to talk about this a little bit tonight. When the resurrection of the dead happens, all of us are going to be changed. We're going to be glorified. All that is sinful is going to be removed from us. And we are going to be like Christ. That's going to be a change. And all of us are going to change. said, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, what I believe Paul is saying when he's saying that I'm trying to attain to the resurrection of the dead, Paul's trying to say, I'm trying to get to that point before Jesus has to change me. That was his goal. You know, he wasn't just satisfied with, well, you know, I'm, going to, I'm still going to get changed. You know, and we're all going to get changed. But he wanted it to be as little as possible. And that should be our goal. That when Jesus Christ returns, that the change is as little as possible. And you know what? We've all messed up in so many areas, and we're going to have to have some changes, folks. And we're all going to get them, thanks to the blood of Christ. But you know what? Why would we frustrate the grace of God? Why would we take advantage of the grace of God? Why don't we do like Paul and press toward that mark for the prize of the high calling of God? You know, and when you come to church, and when we call out sin when we call you to repentance to save people when we open the scriptures and we nail your hide to the wall for you know violating those sins you know we're not judging you by that old testament law that condemns everyone to hell but we're judging you by the law of christ that will determine your rewards that's why we're doing these things we don't want liberty baptist church to be I don't know, the, the ghetto of, you know, the, of the kingdom of God. You know, we, we don't want to be that way. Hey, I'd rather be in the ghetto in the kingdom of God than in hell. And he's, ah, there's not going to be no ghettos there. I don't know how it's all going to play out. All right, bear with me here. I'm just trying to make a comparison. But if we are, if we're just like the welfare cases, you know, where we did no work, you know, just nothing. I get it. Jesus paid for all of our salvation, but hopefully we've done something in return as a thank you. We don't want to be the people that just got in there on welfare and contributed nothing to the kingdom of God. I don't want that to be the Liberty Baptist Church people. I want us to be people who've actually done something, contributed something. I don't want us to have a real small community there too, because we didn't just didn't get anybody saved. I don't, I don't know how this stuff's all going to work out. But we do. We have a movement today of so-called Christians who cry legalism whenever a preacher 
preaches to save people against sin. They don't understand this concept that when we're preaching against sin, okay, we're not judging you by the law of, of the carnal commandments and all these things that are going to condemn us to hell, but we are judging under that law of liberty because we understand that we have life and God has expected us to do something with the life that he has given us. And we're going to be rewarded accordingly. So you know what? We're going to keep doing it. Otherwise, we're going to have to live with the trendies in the millennial kingdom. And I don't want to do that. Okay? I don't want to do that. So, and you say, and I don't, I don't understand how it's all going to work out, but I do know we're supposed to be obedient. I know we're supposed to preach against sin. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.24, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as is appointed unto men once to die and after this, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So understand, I will be without guilt to the Old Testament law because of Christ's blood at his appearing. Because I am saved, I will not receive condemnation. I thank God for that. All these things in the law that could condemn me what we see here in Hebrews chapter 9, Jesus Christ took care of all of those things. Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross and Jesus went up to heaven and he offered that blood on the mercy seat. So anything that you can nail me from in the law to condemn me to hell, just understand the blood of Christ took all that away. He took care of that. And so as a blood-bought believer, I am to be looking for and pursuing righteousness. And that is how we look for his appearing. We are trying to do right. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? and all holy conversation and godliness. So notice he's saying, since we know Christ is coming back, since we know that the end is coming, he said his motive, his things like, what kind of person ought ye to be in holy conversation and godliness? Because we know he's coming back, that should motivate us to be godly. And then he goes on to say, looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Um, nevertheless, uh, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. You say, well, no, I'm going to be without spot by the blood. Okay, no, you're going to be without spot according to that law you're not going to be you can't be condemned to hell but what have you been doing with the life that he has given you what are we doing with that and it says an account that the long suffering of our lord is salvation 
even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, and also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some are hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned, unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures to their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also be led astray with the error of the wicked, and fall from your own steadfastness. Okay, now what does that mean, fall from your own steadfastness? It doesn't mean you can fall from your salvation, but we can fall in our steadfastness in serving the Lord. We can fall from our steadfastness in being obedient, and we want to remain obedient unto the coming of Christ. We don't want to be these has-been Christians. We don't want to be these people who used to do all these things for God. I used to go to church. I used to go soul winning. I used to read my Bible. I used to do all those things. But, you know, it doesn't matter what you used to do. What matters is what you're doing when he returns. That's what really matters. That's when it really counts. You know, I'm thankful for any period of somebody's life where they serve the Lord. But did you know the most important period is the end? Better is the end of a thing than the beginning. It's way better to finish something than it is to start something and quit. We want to make sure we don't fall from this. But then he says, but grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And so we ought to, if, if, listen, if you're not getting better, if you're not becoming more like Christ, you're doing things wrong. You need to fix that. And I'm not going to stand here today and pretend to know exactly how God is going to judge things when he returns. But I do think we can get a pretty good idea from the scriptures. And again, you know, how, how is God going to judge some things when he comes back? Remember what Paul said, that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. When Christ returns, we're going to be changed. But how much? How much change is going to need to take place? So, and just, you know, just imagine, too, you know, if I were to go home tonight and I, was, I announced to my kids, we're going to have a surprise inspection of their rooms, see if we're taking care of them and keeping them clean. You know, some of my kids right now, they might be kind of nervous. It's like, uh, you know, my room's not clean. <laughs> you know, my, my room's a mess. Some of them, you know, they might have the attitude, good. Okay, you know, there was always that one kid in school, too, usually the nerd, that was always ready for the pop quiz. You know, did you ever go to school with that kid? It's like, yeah, bring it on. You know, because like, they were studied up, they were ready to go. But, you know, it's the slackers. They're always the ones, oh, no. Now, I, I'm not ready. I haven't been studying. I'm not ready for any, any of these things. But, you know, the truth is, if I'm a just parent, you know, before I spring something like some kind of surprise inspection on them, because I guess I haven't done that with our kids. But, you know, before I do anything like that, you know what I should do as a parent if I'm going to do surprise inspections on my kid's room? I should give them clear instructions on what I expect to see when I come to their room. And did you know Jesus did that for us? That while he has left us a job to do, while he's left us responsibilities, He's left us instructions showing what he expects. We have that in the Bible. We can read the Gospels. And we can read all these commands and things that Jesus expects. Jesus expects us to love our enemies. Jesus expects us to uh, you know, do unto others and all those things that he commanded. What's every word that men should do to you, do even so to them. He expects us to follow the writings of Paul and Peter and James and John. He expects us to do all those things. Those are his instructions to us. And, you know, and my kids, though, if I were to do that and say, all right, kids, here's the instructions. Someday when you're not expecting, I'm going to do that surprise inspection. Now, you know, my kids, they can rest assured that when I do that surprise inspection on their room, even if they do really bad, I'm not going to kick them out of the house. You know why? Because they're my kids. You know, but I might 
punish them. You know, I might ground them. I might take some privileges. I, you know, who knows? They might, they're probably not going to receive any rewards. I might not take them out for ice cream or something like that. But I'm not going to kick them out of the house. And understand, too, while Christ has left us some responsibilities, while he's left us some instructions that he wants us to follow, thank God when he does come back, and if we're completely surprised, when we stand before him, getting kicked out of the family is not an option. We don't have, he's not going to throw us in hell if we, did, uh, if we did a really bad job. But you know what? I'd rather not disappoint him. I, would, I, would, I don't want to displease him. I want to enjoy that moment. I want to be excited. I don't want to be ashamed at his coming. I want it to be a good thing. And so often, too, again, like I, like I was talking about with Kelly, whenever she cleans her room, she makes her bed and stuff, she wants me to come. Look. I'll come home, and she'll she'll when, when as soon as I walk in the house, she'll just come in there. Hey, Daddy, come look at my room. Why? She's anxious for my return, because she knows that she's done something good. You know, a lot of times after church or when we go home, you know, I'll, I'll we'll talk about how she behaved in church and stuff like that. And sometimes she doesn't want to talk about it. You know, and a lot of times she, uh, she'll you know he'll hear me too. And sometimes we'll just kind of do these things, you know on purpose kind of get a message across. Sometimes I'll know she's bad. I've seen it during church. And then I'll just ask her, Mom, how was Kelly today in church? And when she knows she was bad, you know, she kind of kind of hides. She gets real quiet. But, you know, when she knows she was good, like if her mom told her she was being good and stuff, she's like, you know, she's like ready, ready to go. And she, she gets real quiet and she'll look at her mom, like, you know, just anxious to hear what she's going to say. You know why? Because she knows it's about to be good. The reaction's completely different. And you know, that's how it needs to be when Christ returns. We need to have an attitude of, all right. Now, here's, here's the great thing about this, too. Because, okay? you know, again, we're like little kids in a lot of ways. You know, and even, and it's not about how many things we can check off. Because at the end of the day, the law condemns all of us, you know, and even the law of liberty, none of us are perfect. But, you know, God, he is, he's a righteous judge, and he's going to judge us, you know, based on what we've been given. And, and, you know, he understands the potential that each of us have. And, you know, a lot of times, too, little kids, when they clean their room or they do anything and they want to show you, let's just admit it, most of the time it's not real impressive, is it? But yet... In their innocence, you know, in their ignorance, they did the best that they could, and they're anxious to see what you have to say. And I do. I believe when Jesus Christ returns, there's going to be some people out there. They might not have went to the best church. They might not have had the best training. They might not have been blessed to have all the things that you and I had. But those people, they were doing their best for Christ, for when it comes to his, you know, for following the scriptures. What they were given, they did something with it. And when Jesus Christ returns, they are. They're going to be anxious. They're going to be ready. Now, those of us who, you know, we know a lot more. We've been given a lot more. Some of us are probably thinking, man, I wouldn't want to be them on Judgment Day. The truth is, God doesn't always judge the way we do. If God sees that from their heart they did the best that they could with everything they had, you know what? Because of the blood of Christ, He can forgive any of those shortcomings. And when He sees 
that they took everything he gave them and did something with it, you know what? I think they're going to receive great rewards in that millennial kingdom, even if they weren't up to our standard as a Christian. But, you know, there's a lot of us, too, you know, that we've been given a lot. And maybe we've done a little bit with it, but we haven't done that much. And you know what? We might even be a little bit better, for lack of a better term, than some of those other people. But, you know, because we know a lot, we're not real anxious for his return. And, you know, and I'm telling you, you're going to regret that. And so there's some, they're saying, even so, come, Lord, kind of in ignorance, you know, because they just, they don't know that much. But I do, I believe that they love his appearing and they're doing the best they can with what they have. God's going to give them that crown of righteousness. But, you know, there's going to be some, they're saying it too, because their lives are devoted to God and they're, they're faithfully serving the best of their, their ability. And you know what? They're going to receive that crown of righteousness. There's some of us, so we might be doing pretty good, but if we're not living up to our potential, if we're kind of dreading his return because we know we're in disobedience, I don't know that we're going to get that special crown. I, 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 really, don't, I, don't, I really don't know. Here's what I do know. You know, to whom much is given, much is required. If you're in a church like this that preaches the whole counsel of God, you better believe God expects some things from you. And you know what you need to do? You need to take what he's given you and you need to do something with it. You need to get busy. And I do. I, when he returns, I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to panic clean. I used to have to do that when I was a kid. You know, when I find out my mom was going to look in my room and you'd just throw everything in the closet, you know, sometimes she'd check the closet. And I remember one time, I thought it was funny. I went, and she told me to clean my room, and I ran in there, and I just shoved everything under the bed, made the bed real quick, and it looked, it looked pretty good. And I remember thinking, man, she's going to be impressed when she sees this. Then she looked under the bed. <laughs> and she wasn't pleased. And she could tell what I had done. And even though I said it, it, it looked pretty good, I got in trouble. And... You know what? You're not going to be able to hide anything under the bed when Christ returns. So you better just do the right thing and do it right now. You won't do it now. You're not going to do it when all of a sudden we start finding out how right we were on Bible prophecy. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that this message was a help and a motivator to everyone, Lord, to just uh, get closer to you and to uh, be, I, I pray all of us here will just be anxious and ready for your coming. And Lord, I pray if there, you know, that everyone here will just really take some time to think about that fact. Are they ready? If you were to return today, would they be excited about that? And Lord, if that's not the case, I pray they'll remove whatever it is in their life that's stopping them uh, from that, where we want to be as effective as possible. And Lord, we are anxious for your return. And so I pray you'll help us to prepare our hearts today. In your name we pray. Amen.